Recovery is stupendous. Achievable. Hope. Freedom. 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 Empowering. It's unique to everyone. It's a journey, not a destination. Getting a new lease on life. Finding restoration after you fall down. Recovery is having the freedom to enjoy life. For me, it was finding a way to really love myself. My recovery is possible in part because of my own sense of purpose. Welcome to Montana's Peer Network Recovery Talks podcast. I'm Jim Haney. And I'm Leah Wetzel. Today we have an amazing guest with us. I met this uh, beautiful woman, beautiful soul, actually on the GPS model. Every other Wednesday, we get to provide a group together on group peer support, and it's we represent the recovery world. And just within visiting with this woman, I've learned so much, and I'm really excited to get her on here. You know, she's a, she's from the South. Uh, she's from Georgia. She has some lived experience within many various areas, substance abuse. You know, she's a survivor of a lot. And I'm just very amazed with the work that she's doing. And I'm really excited to have her here today on this platform with us. Stella, can you please introduce yourself and share with our listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi. Hi, y'all. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Leah, for your introduction. I'm really excited to be here with y'all. Yeah, I'm a, um, I'm a peer support, I'm a peer uh, counselor in Georgia, certified by um, the Department of Health in, in Georgia and worked as a, a peer counselor at Central State Hospital. And um, recently in the past two years during the pandemic, found out about group peer support is where I met Leah and GPS. I, and I got certified in that program. It's very trauma responsive, every single element of it. I love GPS a lot. and. Um, yeah. I'm also a, a, a USU, I, I, um, I'm a health educator with an organization called the Urban Survivors Union, um, a Southern health le- uh, educator, and um, with the Beyond Tested Cure team, which is, it's specifically a team of multiple organizations coming together to help eliminate stigma around hep C, uh, hepatitis C, and um, helping to you know, eliminate smash stigma of infectious disease that people who have, you know, are navigating drugs especially deal with. And I'm a person with lived experience, P-W-L-E, person with lived and living experience in Georgia. And with USU in the past couple of years, um, I've been working on uh, a SAMHSA campaign from people who with lived experience in things like sex work and trafficking and drug use. So basically I work at the intersection of sex work, drug use and violence and trauma responsive mental health peer-based systems. Um, I'm a former board member of the Atlanta Harm Reduction Coalition, which was pretty much the first harm reduction organization in the U.S. South, and they've been they've been doing outreach um, twice a week for 25 years. Basically, what harm reduction is, we'll get it. We'll get into that. I can get more into that, and also. I worked as a peer counselor right before the pandemic for four years at an organization called AIDS Athens, doing arts-based peer 
peer, like I'm a peer counselor, but um, when I worked at Central State Hospital, it was uh, really challenging to just do, we're all going to sit in a circle and talk about like anger management or something like that. (laughs) Basically, folks that had literally been in a rural mental hospital for an average of 10 years. Mm. Basically, it was very interesting groups. So I had started I'd gone back to school for music therapy and creative arts therapies and just started bringing loads of art supplies you know and just doing art and stuff and so for a couple of years I did arts-based peer support if that makes sense nice. yeah mm-hmm. and um, and I, I started off as a facilitator for domestic violence groups at uh, Women's Resource Center in Atlanta a bunch of years ago so those are kind of as like highlights of things I've been doing you've been busy yeah 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 you know yeah yeah well great we're glad you're on you're on the show and today we're gonna really i think focus in on things like harm reduction and the framework of that and what is that and sex work and we don't know we're quite where that'll take us in our pre pre pre-talk we kind of went in a lot of different directions so this is a great topic glad that you're taking the time to to be with us so let's jump in with Stella. Tell us about you know what is harm reduction. Some of our listeners might not be familiar with that, and how do you integrate that into the work you do? With what is harm reduction? Okay, harm reduction is a few different things. Harm reduction is a set of practices and principles and a framework that it gets applied a lot to uh, recovery and, and a big umbrella for recovery. Harm reduction is also a movement, a peer-led uh, person with lived experience movement. It came out of the, the early 90s. It came out of a, a, a people's movement response to the AIDS epidemic. When the president wasn't even saying the word that, you know, when more people had died than I believe you know, in Vietnam and in the early 90s of Mm -hmm. AIDS and no Mm -hmm. one was talking about it. And so harm reduction started out as, um, you know, a way to mitigate high risk behaviors and, you know, how people were getting HIV. And so there are two kind of main routes and that's through drugs and through sex, you know? Mm-hmm. And so with the drugs, it, harm reduction was all about syringe exchange programs mm-hmm. to, help, um, to help bring down HIV in communities. It was one of the most effective ways to, to bring down, you know, infectious disease and uh, having, harm, having syringe exchange programs and have them protected in communities and, and just make sure they're there. So that, that's something that harm reduction, the movement itself has manifested and then in the sex category, in that category, it's all about like condoms, you know, and uh, prep. And now today there's more ways to help mitigate harm, mitigate harm, how to reduce harm. And um, in the early days of the 90s, when I was involved with Atlanta Harm Reduction Coalition and going to the street once a week, and I was a board member for AHARC, we would basically give out clean needles and condoms to people that are on street-based economies. And a lot of us look at harm reduction as um, a response to the war in poverty. It isn't just even about the drug war or drugs. It's about like 
you know, when you look at who gets arrested, you know, in, in, in the drug war, you see like, you know, people going, you know, people of color, black folks going to jail for 25 years for a joint or cocaine crack. And then for white folks, you know, barely getting any, you know, charges and, and jail and that kind of thing, that this is not just about drugs. This is about this is about a war in poverty. And so basically when we would go out to the streets and still AHART does this to this day, they bring out food, they bring out clothes, access to showers. Um, a, I remember when AHART was just Mona Bennett, her bag and going to the streets. Now it is two buildings, there are health hubs where you can mm. get tests for HIV, Hep C, where mm -hmm. people can use computers to do like resumes, showers, all, you know, food, bags of food, it's, you know, it, it's more a response to a holistic response, okay. like harm reduction. It's not just about like drug, sex, and this, it's a, it's a holistic response. Yeah. So those are some things I, I think it's always important to talk about it as a movement, talk about it as a set of pra practices and principles, and also to talk about the two angles around because drugs gets talked about a lot in harm reduction, even in, in our mental health systems, more, more mainstream. And even in the government, President Biden was the first president to ever say the word harm reduction. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But this is a movement. It's a, it's a, a thing. But what doesn't get talked about a lot is the other half of it around sex, which I think ends up throwing gender under the bus, throwing women in a way and people that navigate poverty around navigating the sex trade or are survivors of human trafficking and force and coercion. That's an umbrella term for force and coercion and that type of thing. So that doesn't get talked about as much as the drug side of harm reduction, though even the movement from the very beginning, from the, the late, late 80s, early 90s, was addressing both sides because say with gay men, gay men were the first that were getting HIV. And um, so, you know, safe sex was being talked about all the time, you know, but now it seems it's morphed more into opiate, which is important, you know, of course, you know, being talked about as a drug, one of the roots of response or recovery path, a, a framework to address drugs, you know, um, right. the crisis around overdose, right. but there's that other part of it too. And they intersect so much in that other side too. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that, you know, you, man, you touched on a whole bunch of stuff right there. One of the things that's really coming up for me is the, in the last few years with the opioid epidemic, and you mentioned president Biden talking about harm reduction. I mean, I feel like it's a reaction to, to the ineffectiveness of the abstinent model in the, in the, in the substance use world. That mm. statistically, if you look at treatment facilities and the success rate, it's extremely low. Mm -hmm. And the model is abstinence-based. And, and I'm not saying the whole world should switch over to a different model, but I think what you're, for me, what you're touching on is that, can we be open to a more holistic sort of approach to this and look at the real issues and why 
people of color might get a worse sentence than white people, people with money don't get sentenced as much than people who live in poverty. But really, statistically, if you look at state-funded systems, treatment facilities where we spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars treating, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes, treating people, the outcomes are extremely low. They're like 10 to 15% success rates. Yet we spend a ton of money in those areas. And so, right? Right. And so right. I feel like it's sort of a reaction of that. I feel like the recovery movement in general has brought this to light. And there's a, there's a reaction to say, you know what, there's these other pathways. Right. And you, the second piece is, Leah, did you pick up on this? She mentioned that with the principles. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's something Leah and I are very interested in. We want to hear from you on the, the principles of harm reduction, because really we're here to talk about sex workers and how we can apply the harm reduction model. But you, right. you touched on so many topics right there. There's like a ton of like three podcasts built inside there. <laughs> I'm down. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean you, you really did because some of this is these, some of these are societal issues, but there's also these movements that have been happening. And why are they happening? President Biden using those terms, talking in the in the State of the Union, talking about recovery, talking about peer support, those didn't happen by accident. Mm-hmm. Those of us who work in the movement, you know, whether you're in Georgia, whether you're in Montana, we work in the movement, we've been at this a long time. And it's finally raised itself to that level. And it's being noticed, it's being funded, people are paying attention, it's more mainstream. So talk to us about the, those principles. How do you, so let's get, let's get on to the sex worker piece. Take us, take us there, Stella. Okay, well, um, you know, Thank you for, you know, just your insights into this also. And um, I really appreciate being able to talk about this. So anyway, to get into like principles applied, harm reduction um, principles, harm reduction applied to uh, sex work, basically harm reduction principles applied to sex work. I want to give a look, some credit to uh big credit to USU, Urban Survivors Union. And also we, the last couple of years during the pandemic, I worked on some campaigns where basically it was people that had lived experience with things like um, sex work, all with sex work, drug use, and most of us with coercion and violence too. Some of us don't like to identify as trafficking victims for other, a lot of reasons. That's a whole nother topic too. I'm going to Put that to the side because it's such an important topic, but I want to get to principles of harm reduction applied to sex work. There's a wonderful organization called Reframe Health and Justice. And um, with Urban Survivors Union, we were basically, for some of the the consultants at um, Reframe Health and Justice, we were a team that was taking apart, like the SAMHSA literature, taking apart the uh, Trafficking Victims Protection Act, and coming up with suggestions from people with lived experience, you know, about what's working and what is not working. Like views on trading, sex for money and resources as inherently harmful or degrading or inherently uh, stabilizing or inherently stabilizing or empowering. Like basically not 
you know, kind of bringing compassion and meeting people where they're at. Like, like a lot of us are getting that with drugs, like bringing, being compassionate, mm-hmm. you know, meeting people where they're at. Do you need naloxone? Sure. Do you need clean needles? How can we help you not die? Right? right. And so basically with sex work, bringing this principle of compassion of, of, in a sense, I've heard it termed radical love, you know, of bringing uh, a non-judgmental of just meeting people where they're at and not seeing sex work as inherently harmful or this great thing, like either or, like, because it's like working at McDonald's could be, you know, it's how you perceive it. That could feel exploitive sure. one day. And so right. m- meeting people where they're at. And so that's why the early harm reduction, um, it was all about you need condoms, whatever, you know, and not having yeah, this, yeah. you know, and, and yeah. how people ended up not being HIV positive, maybe because they found, you know, support in healthcare support where they felt comfortable talking about it. Whereas a doctor, maybe they don't feel they're not, people aren't talking about anything, you know, and right now there's all this surveillance, like we'll get into that too, is because of the horrible policy and legislation that basically makes everyone surveil like like nurses are being trained i have friends that have gotten in touch with me to do consultant work around nurse training for nurses and they they had basically oh if this person has a a bruise they must be being trafficked you know what i mean like right right yeah yes i do know what you mean you go to the doctor for a cold and they're they're doing suicide they're doing a suicide assessment on you because you said, you said, I feel down. I feel down because, you know, I can't breathe and I'm not sleeping right. And we're, yeah, yeah, no, I, I, I understand what you're saying. (laughs) It's a setup. Yeah. And it feels very surveillance is a good word. (laughs) That's a good, that's a good descriptor. Yeah. And it sets up um, a scenario where profiling can happen. Mm-hmm. I think what's really important, I've been thinking about this lately too, On a was on a, a webinar yesterday where we were talking about some of the similar stuff around like infectious disease, but basically the politics and the rhetoric around gender and, sec- and sexuality and sex work, at times discouraging and preventing certain types of sexuality from some populations while forcing and exploiting it in others. Why sometimes the word sex work feels empowering for certain groups and for other groups, you know, they might've done it, but that does not feel empowering. One of the other things that I do that I didn't mention in my my bio, what I should always is doing work for Loretta Ross is how I found out about GPS. And Loretta Ross does these learning labs around calling in and they're basically racial equity groups for this awesome activist in Atlanta um, who started the first rape crisis center, Loretta Rush. She started a sister song in Atlanta. Basically around languaging and messaging is a really important thing. And some people are like sex worker rights. And then that can be like a resistance to this racialized policing, this white supremacy. And then for communities of color where that that they're so policed in, in, in being out about something that is illegal, you know, basically sex work is illegal, you know, around the entire country, except for one, one, you know, county in Nevada. So basically being out of, it's like saying I'm out as a drug user. Right. You know, I'm out as, and that's going to be really hard. Like, like maybe white folk who don't get criminalized as much as like black folk who do 
double time for so these words like sex work the uh, these words are so important and with usu i'm working on doing um focus groups on on language and messaging on how the deep south how people you know because san francisco there's this movement you know, sex worker rights, human rights, and, and they just passed a great law, a loitering, they repealed a loitering law. This is like two days ago, repealed a loitering law that criminalizes prostitutes, street-based prostitution. Who are standing on the corner is what you're talking about. Loitering, that's, that's the way they... It's a way they criminalize, you know, basically harass homeless people, uh, houseless people. So that was repealed Nowhere in America, I don't think that's happened. That's so big. It's It seems like a little thing, but it's yeah. so big. Yeah. What I'm hearing you say is you're, you're talking about the sex worker, and there's really two pieces to that puzzle. There's the, as I see it anyway, I mean, there's the sex worker, the, the individual, then there's the person who is purchasing the sex, because you use the term in our in our warm-up, we were talking about this with the uh, this transactional sex work, right? And and it and it feels to me like it's really more of this societal issue around how we view, because you're saying this amongst different racial groups, and how we view that and why it's sometimes okay and sometimes it's not okay. Yeah. yeah, and I would say all different types of identities like classes plays a part, legislation that surveils people that are navigating transactional sex, like with, yeah, because that's a good point of getting into defining terms, is um, like, I think it's, it's, it's relative what is going to feel empowering for somebody, and that's okay, because of how people have to respond to the, the surveillance, the criminal over-criminalization, you know, different languaging is gonna, it's, it's gonna need to morph. Our, our terms have to morph. But like for, for me with navigating terms around trafficking, like why say a lot of folks, uh, my, myself, I have a, I'm not as crazy about taking on that that term trafficking and though some other folks may and then that's okay you know there's no like this is good or bad it's almost harm reduction for the terminology so I see the problems around the word trafficking because it's such a big broad umbrella word you know as in mm-hmm. and what ends up happening is when you have a vague term and you mix it with over criminalization, they do these sweeps, you know, these trafficking sweeps where like 25 people will get arrested. It's a perfect storm because within sex work, there are kind of three basic kind of categories, basically choice, circumstance, and coercion. So choice is kind of more rare. Someone going, hey, I want to go do this. It's, you know, it happens, you know, but it's more, most people are doing it for circumstance you know, it's not necessarily great or necessarily terrible. There's uh, agency, you have some agency as you would in other jobs, there's not force. And then there's force, which, right. which gets categorized as trafficking. Right. And then under that category 
if they were to say things like there are plenty of laws for like kidnapping, human smuggling, like it's really problematic to conflate human smuggling with trafficking too. Like all of these words, like I'm, I'm a big fan of getting real specific. Like, you know, when I talk to people that say that they're a victim of trafficking, I, I like to find out like what more happened because right. um, like in my own story, I'm a survivor of intimate partner violence. And I went to a domestic violence center. I was a facilitator there in my, my earliest, earliest recovery story. That was very helpful. Like I, I thought it was very helpful. If you compare it to some, and I'm not saying all anti-trafficking work. In Georgia, there's this anti-trafficking org. Well, I looked at the organization behind it. And you know, I looked at their job application and it had that you needed to have a good relationship with the Lord Okay. And it said that you needed to be, you know, able to use restraints. Wow. Yeah, exactly. It said these things, and this was only like 2016, 17, 89% of Georgia voted to basically give that, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars to this organization every year, just because they dropped the word trafficking. It doesn't, it does disservice to the people who are in the most vulnerable, dealing with the most violence, the most, you know, the people who are human smuggled, the human, the people who are kidnapped and stuff like that. It had this big broad term of trafficking is so problematic. And I think just having these conversations, you know, I know that there is some good work done under that umbrella of that label. Myself, I tend to, you know, try to say in my survivor story, my, I was doing sex work at the time. I was a dancer for a long time. I got into recovery because of harm reduction, because somehow, you know, some places will say you have to stop doing that. That mm -hmm. is not harm reduction. There needs to be therapists out there, harm reductionists out there that say, what do you need? You need access to housing. You need access to food. You need access to healthcare, you know, and you don't have to sign a contract saying that you will do, you'll stop doing the thing that's helping you feed your kids. That's kind of an unfair criticism of the therapist because you have to think about people who are going to become therapists today. The number one way people become therapists is they don't even go to school. They just take some online video classes where they hardly even interact with people. And in a few years, then they go get a license and now they're practicing as a counselor. I mean, we're watering down the educational system of counselors and they're not even exposed to peer support, the recovery movement, forget harm reduction, forget trafficking. They they get zero educational opportunities around that. I mean, I, I can remember we, us running a program where we were working in a peer support with a crisis uh, response team. And we would get calls from counselors who would say, I have, I have a client who just left my session they have suicidal ideation, can peer support go work with them? Now, we're happy to go work with them. We're go, happy to go find the person and go talk to them. But the idea that the counselor doesn't have the ability to connect with their own client and that they're reaching out to peer support is really counterintuitive for me because we're supposed to be working with the counselors. We should actually be, in my opinion, referring people the other way to the counselors, but the counselors don't have the educational experience. Right. Right. And I think most people, you, you talk to most counselors and you start talking about harm reduction, most of them have very little 
practice of that. And I think the pool is small. I think you hit on, but I think it's more a product of the educational system. Right. And that's the issue is that we're not, why do we not have courses in peer support in our university systems to teach count anybody going into behavioral health? You want to be an LAC, an MSW, psychiatrist, psychologist. Why are we not yet teaching them about peer support and recovery? Right. Um, like I had a therapist that for seven years that helped save my life that never had this, you need to leave or I won't see you, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But for the training, you're so onto it. It's like there needs to be courses on harm reduction, on yeah. um, sex work from a rights-based perspective. Yes. Yeah. Yes. You know, and talking about the, the policy and legislation, yes. talking about, you know, like the trafficking, the rhetoric and what does it mean? And, you know, the anti-trafficking legislation, FOSTA and SESTA was a law that basically deplatformed people doing sex work online because it, it held anyone helping sex workers uh, liable for anything happening, you know, so it criminalized the people around sex workers. It basically, people start backing away. People don't, don't want to help anymore. But one thing to think about is if we want classes in college to, to for training for therapists and stuff, it's, it's talking about these hard issues. Thank you, Stella, for joining us today. Uh, Jim and I really appreciate it. Thank you, Stella. How can, how can somebody, if they're interested in what you're sharing today, how can they find you? Probably my Twitter is the best way to contact me. And it's at Stella, S-T-E-L-L-A underscore. And then Zine, Z-I-N-E, all lowercase letters. And I have a link to, I do creative arts therapy stuff and music. And also I tend to tweet on things that are topical and around these topics around harm reduction, sex work, you know, legislation, uh, yeah, harm reduction and trauma-based, trauma-based stuff too. Yeah. Well, I would love to have you on again, Stella, and, and talk more about this because I think you, you've brought up six or seven, there's six or seven things I wrote down, probably be their own podcast, each, each and every one of them. So I'd love to have you back on again. Oh yeah. If, if you want to come on and, and we could do some more. So appreciate your time to our listeners. Thank you uh, for tuning in once again to Montana's peer network recovery talks podcast. Check us out every week on our website and uh, iTunes and SoundCloud. Well, thank you. Thank you and for inviting me. Thanks, Stella. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works. Recovery is possible. Recovery is possible. <laughs> recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery works and recovery is possible. Recovery is possible.